hungry. Hello, hello, people. It's me, Lisa Lillian, also known as Hungry Girl. I am here at Hungryland today. I am so excited because, first of all, I don't have Mikey and Jamie with me today. That's not why I'm excited. I am excited, though, because it is a very special episode. We are going to dive into a topic that all of you have been clamoring for information on. And I am so excited about because I personally have been doing this, but if you want to guess, I'll give you two seconds. Okay, time's up. Intermittent fasting. We are talking about intermittent fasting today, and I have a special guest who is also a very good friend of mine, one of the most fun, interesting, entertaining, and brilliant people. It's Thank Dr. You. Melina Jampolis. Hi, <laughs> Melina. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm better I'm, now that I'm here at Hungryland. It makes me happy. Oh, well, we're so happy to have you. And for people who may or may not be familiar with you, I mean, I, you've been all over TV. You're always on daytime television. Anytime I turn on my TV, there you are. But you are a nutrition doctor. You're a physician nutrition specialist, which means you are an MD. Mm-hmm. So you could do all the things that a medical doctor does. Yet you specialize in nutrition, which is so different. Yeah, it is. And I was really, you know, I've been doing this. So I'm trained as an internist. I'm board certified in internal medicine. And very quickly, I realized that that wasn't the path to health for people, putting people on drugs for diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. And 20 years ago, I left internal medicine to focus exclusively on nutrition for disease treatment and prevention. And there's really only a few hundred doctors like me in the United States, and most of them are actually more on the inpatient side, so the hospital side. So I'm one of the very few that really, I have, for 20 years, I've been preaching this food as medicine message. And, you know, medicine is kind of starting to catch up, I think, but I think the public is actually farther ahead in many cases than the medical community. So, but... I've been doing it for a while. And, you have, uh, it's, and you're doing a great job. Thank you. Thank and I'm you. thankful that you're here because I was thinking, who can I reach out to that will know and give us the 411 on intermittent fasting? And I have so many questions. Also, the Hungry Girl Facebook What's Chewing community, they sent in hundreds of questions. So we're going to jump right in. Great. All right. So for people out there who don't know what intermittent fasting is or why they should consider doing it, can we talk a little bit about that? Just like a quick overview of what it is. And is it solely for weight loss or other other benefits as well? Yeah, that's a great question. And I mean, intermittent fasting in and of itself is just extended periods of not eating. And so there's a lot of different types, which we can go into, but it's, you know, fasting for a period of time more than just an overnight fast, which most of us do anyways, unless you wake up in the middle of the night (laughs) with a good percentage of us. So, you know, and it's something really, you know, I know it's, it's in the news now and it's very timely, but it's been around when you think about it in different religions and cultures all over the world for thousands of years. So this is nothing new. And I think if anything, I'd love your audience to understand that this really is not a diet fad. I, this is one of the most scientifically validated, and there continues to be more and more research looking at different aspects of intermittent fasting. And while many people start it for weight loss, there's actually a lot of research showing that it helps with 
diseases like diabetes and prediabetes, when done correctly, it can help with heart health, and it can even help with longevity. Some of the scientific basis of restricting food for a period of time, the type of stress that that causes on your body can actually stimulate your basically your cells to regenerate themselves better. So there's actually maybe some anti-aging benefits to it and, and healing benefits from this time restricting your food and fasting for certain periods of time. So scientifically, yes, weight loss is a great bonus, but even if you don't lose weight by doing this, Research has shown that you can help improve how your body responds to insulin, thereby decreasing your risk of diabetes. And there's many different things. It's actually very exciting, and we're really starting to see more of it. The obesity meeting that I went to actually in Las Vegas, ironically, in November, they did an entire symposium on this. So this is really starting to move to the forefront of not just obesity medicine, but general nutrition medicine in uh, as well. That's amazing. I love hearing that because I have so many questions relating to that. So before we even jump into those, is there a period of time that is a minimum period of time? to not eat in order to experience those benefits? Yeah, I think most of the research looks at a minimum of 16-hour fasts. As you're easing into it, you can certainly start with even a 12-hour fast. I think there is clinical benefit to that. Um, And that really, you know, if you think about historically how we used to eat before electricity and different uh, technology and that sort of thing, Really, you would have dinner, and then when the sun set, you know, there wasn't much to do when you didn't have 7,000 channels on TV or Netflix or digital, so people went to sleep. So, you know, a 7 to 7 window for eating, the 12 hours would be physiological, but most of the research shows that it's really that 16-hour mark of not eating that where you begin to see the clinical benefits. And, and that's actually what I do. I mm-hmm. do the 16-8. And I was wondering, and people out there are wondering as well, is this, I know you're saying there are other benefits, but is it more of a calorie game? Like people are asking if they just sort of restrict their calories, because if I'm only eating for eight hours, I know I'm eating probably three to 500 fewer calories than I normally eat on average. If I eat those same number of calories and I spread it out throughout the day longer, you're saying that you won't lose weight as quickly, you don't think? I'm saying that you're not going to get all the benefits of it. It, it. It's a different, it's different physiology. So that's simple caloric reduction. What we're doing with intermittent fasting is we're actually changing your metabolism. You're really evoking by not giving the body fuel during a certain period of time. You get hormonal changes that actually have benefits that far go beyond calories. So it, it, it's not the same at all. There is actually something that's happening with our physiology, with you know cell turnover, with things called mitochondria. These are the powerhouses of your cell that generate energy. It's shown that it increases the creation of new mitochondria. I feel so much more energy doing People it. People do report that. It's funny because I, I personally can't do it. I know that's crazy. I've tried it. Um, I just... 
I, I really, I'm not sure, which is another really important point is that there is no one size fits all when it comes to this sort of thing. And so I choose to try to get my longevity benefits from exercise and stress management, although I'm not very good at that. But, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, there was all these things happening in your body. It increases something called autophagy, which is basically when your body is cleaning up the dirty cells or the dead cells in your body, the toxic weight uh, fasting can actually improve autophagy. So there's there's all these things on a cellular and biochemical level that are probably a little bit more exciting to people like me, but you benefit from those by doing it and you don't even realize it. I just it. like those big words you're I using. I know, I know. It's um, nice. So I've also heard, and I, I have friends that do this and they're like, oh, well, I, I have coffee, but I put, cream in, I put creamer in the coffee and there's a 60 calorie rule. And as long as you don't exceed 60 calories, then you're still considered in fasting mode. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I haven't seen any data to support that. And, um, you know, all the studies, I'm sure that calories sneak in there. I would say if you are going to do that, probably what I would discourage you is from having any sugary calories. So a little bit of cream that has more fat to it may be okay, but uh, the sugar which then will trigger a release of insulin can really offset any of the benefits. So, uh, or at least interfere, you know? So it's, I, it's interesting because some people think, you know, you, if you feel like your blood sugar is dropping, you're really hungry, you want to grab like a gummy bear or yeah. something to give you instant energy. But you're saying that would throw off the fast more so. I'm saying that would probably, when we look at, you know, hormones like insulin that are going to respond very quickly to blood sugar, I mean, that's what you're doing. You're getting your blood sugar up, but you're also triggering a release of insulin. So not that it completely, de de you know, defeats the purpose, but if we're really trying to follow it for optimal benefits, I think trying to limit uh, that sort of thing, you know, but this, I've never heard of a 60 calorie rule. That's probably something made up. Made, up. made up. It sounds really <laughs> cute, but there's nothing magic about the 60 calories as far as I know from a scientific standpoint. And a lot of people also want to know, like, what if you're super hungry and you have headaches? Like, does that just mean fasting's not for you? Or is that something that will go away after you do it for a few days? I never experienced those things. So I, I don't know. But a lot of people are saying they feel very like they, they're going to faint and they're really hungry. So what should they do? Yeah, I think it's but maybe they that's the type of person that should ease into it a little bit more and start get their body. You know, the other thing that is very interesting is that, um, you know, there's something called metabolic flexibility, which is your body's ability to go between carbohydrates and fat as a fuel source. And Maybe some of those people, I mean, most of us have ample supplies of fat that we should be able to draw on to keep our blood sugar stable and that's, you know, that or to keep our energy levels up to fuel our body. We have storage forms of, of, uh, of carbs in our muscle. Everybody does. So, you know, I would say with somebody like that, I would try to ease into it a little bit more. You know, it's a complex question. I mean, but then again, I mean, for me, I really have a hard time with it. I have tried it. I do. I feel like I get very hypoglycemic and I don't like how that feels. And I feel whether or not, you know, uh, I skip breakfast or dinner. Uh, neither of those are good for me. But but speaking of that, you'll probably this may come up a little bit later. But I think one of the biggest mistakes that I see with people who do intermittent fasting is choosing the wrong window. And research is very clear that if your window is, so for example, if you do a 12 p.m. to 8 p.m., that's 
worse for you than doing like a 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. The earlier window is better because you're... Wait, wait, say that again. So you're saying you should not eat between 12 and 8? It should, your window of, so for you, you have an eight hour window that you eat. Right. What time is that usually? It's usually 11 to 7. Okay. So you're so saying that's it's good. Worse? No, 10 to 6 is better. That's what a lot of the research has been. I think 11 to 7 is more livable. The later it gets, the worse it gets. Because what we know is that even if you're eating exactly the same thing, we, your body metabolizes it different later in the day. And in some cases, I've seen with the time-restricted feeding or intermittent fasting, they're all different names for the same thing. With the later window, they actually have worse metabolic outcomes where their cholesterol and blood sugar get worse. So the eating window is very important. So you can't save all of your calories and binge on a huge dinner and get the benefits. That's what I'm saying. Interesting. Yeah. But what if like your day starts like later? So it's that, do you know what I'm saying? That's like, a great it, question. It... And people have shown, the research has shown that shift workers who work the graveyard shift, ha- their metabolism, they're more predisposed to get things like prediabetes and blood sugar abnormalities. So there's these genes that we have apparently called clock genes, which dictate how your body responds to food at different times of the day. And same amount of calories consumed later in the day have a more negative effect on your overall metabolism. So even if people have that, like, so this is good for me because I feel like even if my window is some days 12 to 8 or 11 to 7, better off eating my larger meal way before 7. Absolutely. Like at 3 or 2. Absolutely. And Got that's it. how I structure it with patients who want to do that. Um, you know, and if you think about it, doesn't that make sense? Because what I try to do with my patients is to get them to think about food as fuel a little bit. We have a lot of emotional attachments to fuel to food, but at the end of the day, it really is fuel. And during the day, you're really still fueling your body. As you transition into night and different hormonal changes, just even from the lack of light, which is kind of screwed up in our culture too, with the blue lights. I mean, there's a lot of research on that. We could go. There's so much research. I could go no, on but for I get six it. hours. No, but I get it. Like, why but... do you need all, I don't need that much fuel to watch Dateline. Right. I mean, once the, the day is winding down, like what, what's the fuel for? Right. Exactly. Makes perfect sense. Okay. So another question that people are asking is, does your body get used to this? Like, if you stop, like, is it better to do this only a few days a week or three or three to four days a week or do it every single day? And if you stop, will your body rebel? Well, that's a good question. I mean, the good thing is a lot of the research that's been done shows that doing this five days a week and eating somewhat normally two days a week is almost equivalent to doing it seven days a week. So I would say from a lifestyle standpoint, that to me seems more doable because that brings in, especially if you do it correctly and do the earlier window. So if you do the 10 to 6, which is the most researched window, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., restrict your eating to that time frame. Um, you know, the research has shown that if you take a couple days off and that doesn't mean that you binge on those two days, but that you just have a little bit more flexibility in terms of timing, that that's also effective. As far as the rebound, um, 
you know, that's an interesting question. When I, I, my gut feeling would be to say no. You don't. It's not because you're improving your metabolism. So if anything, if you got off track for a few days or a week, you're on holiday or something, your metabolism is functioning better. Those mitochondria and all the hormones that are more balanced, they're actually probably going to make you respond to any deviation better. So it's it's not going to be where you, you know, if anything, you've better prepared your body to get off track a little bit and then to get back on track. So from a scientific standpoint, you're improving the way your metabolism looks. It works. It's not looks. It's not going to reverse itself. You know, I mean, you could do a lot of damage very quickly. I'm not going to say you're not going to gain weight, but you know, the mitochondria aren't going to immediately die off and, you know, your insulin levels starts being sky high again, you know? So I, I think, uh, the answer is you're okay with that, but, but good. it it's is good helpful to know. to know that just five days a week is equivalent. So then it just, Whenever I'm talking to patients about it, that's what I love about what you do is because you truly make it livable for the person. And people always think of diet as a four-letter word and it's a short-term thing that they're going to do to get to their goal and then they can go back to their old way of eating. But what you, the tools that you give them are for life. And having something where you could do it, you know, five days a week, there's also different, you know, that are, they have 5-2 intermittent fasting. You know, there's all sorts of different five kinds. 5-2, so it's five days on, two days off? Well, that one's a little Not different. five hours off, yeah, two right, hours right. on, five hours yeah, off. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. That's my <laughs> favorite. Now, um, the 5-2 is where, you know, you really restrict calories to 500 calories twice a week. Um, and that one, so it's not as much of a timing thing, but it's a type of intermittent fasting because you're cutting calories so significantly, your body perceives it as fasting. So, but there's, you know, like you said, there's 16, eight, there's people that do 24 hour fasts once a week, just to, you know, even just doing a sh one time, your body's going to benefit from it. But wow, I just, I just want to make sure people know what could work for them. I mean, 24 hours, I think is, is hard. I think men, from my experience, I know a lot of guys who can do that. For Women, sure. for whatever reason, have Absolutely. a harder time. Is that a thing? I think, I mean, think about evolution. You know, I don't, we're not going to get into a heated discussion about that. But, you know, if you look back at the hunter-gatherers, you know, it was oftentimes the men that were going out onto the plains for a day, two days, three days to bring back game. And the women were still, you know, tending the home, maybe snacking on nuts and berries till the husband came back. So I think, you know, men, I, I definitely find that in my practice. There's a lot of men. Uh, most surgeons eat one meal a day, you know, there. So I think it, there is different physiologically that we're designed, particularly women who are of childbearing age, which maybe we're not anymore, but we were <laughs> not too long ago. Um, but uh, so yeah, it, it's, I find it's much harder for women even to cut carbs really significantly. And that probably has to do with serotonin levels in our brain and things like that, where we get a little more moody, shall we say, if we go too <laughs> low on the carbs. Who's moody? Not me, never. Um, a lot of people also are asking, how, if I do this, do I not just go overboard when I do start to eat? I mean, I have some tips there. But before I even give mine, what do you think about that? Like if you're overly hungry, ravenous by the time you eat? 
Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really good point um, because that you, you, you know, you can definitely undo some of the benefit if you binge on a cheesecake, you know, that's your first meal. So, I mean, my, my, I would certainly have, you know, high volume foods to start to, first of all, drinking water as mm-hmm. much as possible, uh, drinking teas throughout the day, you know, making sure that you're really well hydrated. hydrated. Um, and then really, um, you know, you still have to make good choices, you know, and I think people, and this is probably something I know that you do with everything that you make. I mean, the ginormous, like, I love that concept. And so, because some, at some point people are really going for that physical feeling of fullness. Like they're just so hungry. They want to feel stuffed. You're not going to do that with nuts. You're going to have to, you'll have a thousand calories of nuts before it even takes up any volume in your stomach. (laughs) So think about, you know, high volume foods to start off to activate those stretch receptors in your stomach that can signal fullness. And also, you know, slowing down a little bit. So thing, you know, things that take a little bit longer to chew. I mean, whatever tricks you have for, you know, in, in life in general for between meals, applying those more regularly and, and just being smart about it. I mean, don't go to a restaurant that has your favorite focaccia bread and be like, yeah, bring out the bread basket after I've fasted for, you know, 16 hours. That'll be, that shouldn't be any problem. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, I tend to go for, I like to go for something that has about a hundred calories as my first foray back into chewing. So I tend to go for like a nice orange or something that's juicy and satisfying and wait about 15 minutes and then say, oh, I'm feeling it. You can actually feel your body sort of starting to metabolize or digest the food and it makes you feel satisfied. Mm -hmm. So if you just slow down a little, I agree that that's extremely helpful. And for me, I would do better if I were doing it. I would go for protein. So for me, if I just didn't, and maybe this is why, I mean, I think people have a sense for when they have blood sugar irregularities because I drop, if I did that, it would actually make me hungrier. So I would go for like a great, and I love, I love the hundred calorie thing because it's just easy and, and you know, you don't have to think too much about it and overanalyze, but I would probably do like a Greek yogurt to take the edge off. All the pro- right. That's and so if- funny because I'm such a protein person. I eat every single day. I'd say I have at least four or five egg whites at some point throughout the day. But when I break my fast, for whatever reason, I don't go for that first. Sometimes I do, but I guess it just, you have to just see how it makes you feel. Absolutely. And that's what, you know, everything is going towards personalized nutrition, personalized medicine. And I think this is a great way of kind of figuring out what works for you. And it's not going to be the same for everyone. And you had mentioned that it's good for diabetes prevention, possibly. What about people who are already diabetic? Is it safe for them to go down this road? Yeah, that's a great question. And of course, they should check with their doctor first, especially if they're on diabetes medication, because they could get into trouble with low blood sugar if they continue their same medical or insulin regimen. But I mean, this is actually a great option because it very quickly improves insulin resistance. That's one of the best things that intermittent fasting does. And that's a problem in the majority of diabetics. But I have a very good friend actually who has an amazing podcast too that you should be on because it's really fun, happier in Hollywood. Um, You can Um, but she is a type one diabetic. So she's actually an insulin dependent diabetic and intermittent fasting has been 
amazing for her and has allowed her to reduce her insulin levels. And she feels amazing. She's lost weight. She's got better energy. Um, so absolutely. But you need to talk to your doctor first, especially if you're on medication, insulin or a pill for diabetes. But this can be, that's actually a very, very interesting population for this because of the impact on insulin resistance. And and speaking of medication, what happens if you're on a pill that requires you to have a little bit of food when you take the pill? How does that play into intermittent fasting? I mean, unless it's really time dependent, I would just move the timing of your pill to your first meal. I mean, you know, it, unless it really needs to be done at a certain time, and I'm not sure... You know, the only medication, like thyroid medication, needs to be done on an empty stomach. So that one works perfect. You know, blood pressure medication, if you take it at 8 a.m. versus 10 p.m. or, or 10 a.m. or 11 a.m., I'm not sure that that would make a huge amount of difference. But So people um, can just adjust their pill-taking times when they can. Yeah. But yeah. talk to your doctor. Talk to your doctor, exactly. yeah. I, I bet. All right, exercise is a big one. Everyone's like, how can I exercise if I haven't eaten? What if somebody wakes up in the morning, they feel like they want to exercise. Do they have the energy they need if they haven't had food in 12, 14 hours? You know, that's, that's a really, really great question. And I'll be perfectly honest with you. Like for the majority of my career, I have discouraged people from exercising on an empty stomach because of exactly that reason. I felt like it would not give them the energy to perform optimally. I still believe that to some extent. I feel like I could never go to a spinning class on an empty stomach. I mean, I would just hit the wall. I would just bonk. Um, but interestingly, what research has shown, I, I saw a study recently um, that showed that exercising plus intermittent fasting actually improved, showed even more benefits. Now, I'm not sure when that window, when that exercise was done. Was it simply the combination or was it done fasting? Um, again, I think, well, since I recommend doing the window a little bit earlier, you know, mm -hmm. I, I think it could work. But if somebody, many people when they work out first thing in the morning, um, don't like to eat, you know, so I'm not pressuring them as much as I used to to get something in their stomach. I still do get a little bit concerned about maintaining muscle mass, especially for people as they get older and it's harder to build muscle because if, you know, the body's not that smart. It would be great if we exercised on an empty stomach and the body knew only to go to fat and never to go if to muscle. Only. If only. <laughs> but it's not quite that smart. So Would water help? Like if someone has like a, a lot of water and they're very hydrated before they exercise, it's could that possibly help? Absolutely. It's but still, you know, it, it, it it's hard to answer that question because it all depends on what their meals are made of. So if they're on a low-carb diet, for example, and they don't have a lot of the storage form of blood of glucose of blood sugar you know they might be somebody who would bonk a little bit more but then you know the body does seem to when i said that metabolic flexibility like it may over time actually help you use fat for fuel better during a workout so increase fat oxidation burning fat for fuel so you know i think the jury's still out on that um but i i was impressed to see you certainly shouldn't stop exercising if you're doing it you know because they have complex Complementary benefits and they really seem to work synergistically. The idea of on an empty stomach or not, you know, that's a little bit more. I don't think science has answered that question yet. Okay. And is there anything else that you want to add about intermittent fasting? Anything you think we haven't covered? 
No, I mean, I, I think, like you said, I think it's important. There's a lot of different ways of doing it. There's there's um, no 100% right way. There are some wrong ways. I mean, I think if you, be, like I said, I think one of the most important things that I hope people listening to is to shift the window earlier. And, and you know what? I remember in the old days, you, like it was a big thing, like don't eat after seven. The kitchen is closed after seven. That's basically what we're talking about. Because if you don't eat after seven, you're already doing a 12-hour fast to start with. So, I mean, some of this just makes good sense. And, it, you know, it's, it's what we've kind of been saying for a long time. It's just bringing a little bit more science and maybe stretching that window a little bit. I mean, you know, and then just using it as a – it doesn't have to be hard and fast, I think. You know, not being so hard on yourself and not having as – as an excuse to then eat poorly during whatever window you define. I mean, it gives you a little bit more flexibility, but you know, so does everything that you recommend to people. Like your, your plan is not about deprivation, you know, it's about enjoying your food. It is. And I love the idea of eating a larger meal before the end of your eating window, have it like back into it and then just have something light towards the end of that. I'm definitely going to do more of that. So Great. thank you for that. My pleasure. And Melina, where can people find you? Like people are probably going to be clamoring to hear <laughs> more from you. Where where are you? Uh, well, I'm right down the street from you. So <laughs> no, uh, I, my, my office is in Valley Village. I mean, my website, drmelina.com. I'm not as active as you are with it. I'm too busy. You know, I, I uh, I love this stuff. I probably should make an effort to, you know, talk about it more. Um, you know, my I've written four books. So my last one, the I'm working on a new one now, but it's going to be a while because I'm too busy. But the last one, Spice Up, Slim Down, is I'm kind of obsessed with the healing power of spices and herbs. And I'm working on a new one that's uh, looking at spices and longevity. So instead of making everything about weight, it's more about health and optimal living and everything. But um, with the old book, which you contributed a recipe, thank you so much, but 100% of the profits from that book go to an organization called Action Against Hunger, which helps support childhood malnutrition across the world. And to date, I've been able to write them $65,000 in checks from the wow. sale of that book. That's so, the book. What is the name Spice of it? Spice Up, Slim Down. And, and they can buy that on Amazon. Yeah, they right? can buy it on Amazon. And that's the one. I think you gave me two yes, recipes for that I one. Loved so, it. Yeah. so wait, if you had to tell me what is the best, the number one spice that can help you live longer, it can be the best for you. What is it? Oh, my God. that's a, I mean, I have to say turmeric, but, you know, it's... I, it, but it, it's just because it has the most data. I mean, honestly, I oh, was hoping you'd say cinnamon. Cinnamon is. is it, uh, can, can I get five? Can you give me? I, yeah. <laughs> yes. Name cinnamon, five. Cinnamon, cumin, oregano, turmeric, and ginger. Ginger or thyme. Thyme, maybe thyme for the brain. Let's wow. let's go with thyme. Great. There you go. Awesome. We're Thank out you. of time now. We're, at, we're out of time. <laughs> but you can get some time in your spiced cabinet and throw it on whatever you're making. Anyway, thank you so much. This has been so informative and so helpful. I think people are going to be so excited. We're going to put some information up on our show page. You can find that at hungry-girl.com slash foodcast. And you can check us out at hungry-girl.com and sign up for our daily emails and tune into the podcast every week. And of course, subscribe to it. We love when you do that. If you have any questions, you can always text Mikey at 805-380-8075. And we will, of course, be back next week with a podcast. We've got a Target haul with lots and lots of great things. So thank you again, Melina, for being here. Love you. Always great to see you. I am Lisa Lillian, also known as Hungry Girl. Till next time, chew the right thing.